The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Make Life Work, the show that explores people and culture and shares some ideas on how to improve both. Your host is Kathy Ellis, and she will entertain you and share insights on how to make life work. Now, here's Kathy Ellis. Welcome to Make Life Work. This is Kathy Ellis. And today I have a guest, Daniel Patterson, Vice President of a high school in Newport Beach. This meme came along, we'll talk with Daniel in just a minute, but this meme came along on my Facebook page, and it It's a sign on a school door. It says, stop. If you are dropping off your son's forgotten lunch, books, homework, equipment, etc., please turn around and exit the building. Your son or daughter will learn to problem solve in your absence. That meme sums up so much, and it's so perfect that I had to read the article that was attached to it, which is Daniel's article. There's... The reason it really got my attention is because as a therapist all this time and as an employer, I've seen far too much learned helplessness with inflated expectations, and it seems to be a problem in our society. And I've seen it firsthand, like I said, as as a counselor and an employer. So that's what prompted me to read the article, which was, I loved it so much that I reached out to Daniel and asked if he would be a guest on the show. All too often today, we see parents basically rescuing their kids, not letting them learn to be responsible and accountable for themselves. They forget they're raising an adult and someone's spouse and employee. An employer, as an employer, it is so difficult to work with someone who has never been held accountable, never learned to depend on themselves, him or herself, and expect something for nothing. People's self-esteem, this seems to be something a lot of folks don't understand. People's self-esteem does not, is not developed through lots of compliments and empty, empty accolades. It's developed, we develop our self-esteem by learning to be able to navigate our mistakes, learning to rely on ourselves, owning up to our own behavior versus lying and making excuses or shirking off responsibilities. When we rescue kids, it hurts their self-esteem. In fact, it can, it can make it so they, it doesn't develop very well at all. It's this pervasive pattern of micromanaging, hovering, making excuses for children that really stunts their growth. This is why I think it's really important for people with Daniel's perspective and vision to get out there and share. On this show, Daniel will talk about some common sense tools to helping kids grow. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. As I told you, you're my first non-friend guest. So I feel like I've graduated. That's right. you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yes. So let, let me just give people a brief background on your degrees and where you went to school, what you got your degrees in. 
Sure. I, I grew up in Marin County in Northern California and then went to Willamette University in Salem, Oregon, where I got a bachelor's in rhetoric and media studies, which um, you can Google it, but basically it's just the art of persuasion and communication. And then I took a gap year and worked and then went back and got a master's degree in education at Willamette University again and then became a teacher and I taught for 10 years. And then I got my administrative credential at UCI in Irvine, and then I've been an assistant principal for four years. Very good. So tell me again, what is the, the degree in rhetoric? This sounds like something a lot of parents should take. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> rhetoric is just the finding the best means of persuasion in any given situation. Um, when I went to college, I really had it in my mind I wanted to get involved with politics or speech writing. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, nonfiction, uh, primary source documents, um, journalism-based writing. And today with the election, uh, the primaries, we're seeing a lot of rhetoric, yes? Yes, we are. It's, it's good to see um, with the rhetoric background just to be able to dissect and kind of navigate through media perception and look at speeches and watching the conventions. It was, it was a real, uh, I guess... Reminder of why I loved what I did when I went to college. Yes. So, how long have you been in education? You said ten years, and then you went back to get your yeah, fourteen years. Ten years as a teacher. I taught seventh grade and tenth grade English. Um, I taught uh, AVID, which is a program that helps kids who are motivated, whose parents have never gone to college. And then I was an activities director um, at the high school, and also the uh, assistant tennis coach. Tell me, tell us more about AVID because that's interesting. You know, everything runs in families. So if you're, you've come from a family that goes goes to university and gets higher degrees, the children are likely to do that, and vice versa. So that's interesting. This is a program for to help kids get in college, or just tell us more yeah, about it. Yeah, it's to help first generation college bound or uh, likely college bound students. Uh, get organized, get uh, access to college experiences like taking trips and, and working with high-level tutors to fine-tune their skills. It's all run through the comprehensive high school setting during their school day as one of their classes. And then to take outside trips, um, field trips throughout the school year to visit different college campuses or bring guest speakers in and just kind of exposes them to um, that introduction to the possibility of college, um, where, you know, as a child, I got that from my parents because they were college educated, but for someone who doesn't have a college educated, you know, family, that's not their fault. So you just ask, you know, give them access to those resources, that information. Is this school specific state or federal uh, that's program. a great question. I know that it's statewide. Um, oh, very good. Here, it's not just a school specific all right, well, we'll, I'll post information on that, and you'll send me some on that, and then I'll post it on the Twitter and Facebook page later. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds very interesting, yes. So Daniel helps parents and kids develop their own skills. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, gonna anyway. So dog trainers, and I'm sure there's some out there, yeah. know, know that they're actually training the the, the um, dog owner, the person, most of the time. And I think working with children, it's very much the same way. In fact, working with some parents, I could get, I could change the child's behavior without ever meeting that child, 
if the parent implements the tools that they're taught. What, what, um, so Daniel helps parents and children, teens, he's working with teens right now, develop their own skills, and you can find his articles, which are very straightforward, practical, common sense, accessible articles, and really very helpful on his Twitter page and Facebook links, and they're listed on the Voice America page and on my Facebook page, Make Life Work. What made you get into the field of education, and how did you end up a vice principal? Well, that's a great question. I'll start with the second part of that first. <laughs> I, I, don't, I had no intentions of becoming an assistant principal, um, but I did want to set myself up to... I guess in the short term, I didn't have any uh, expectation of becoming an assistant principal because I loved teaching so much, and I was thriving in the classroom, and I loved it. Um, I got my admin credential just to keep it in my back pocket and to help me move over, get more units, um, and just get more education. Uh, And then two days before school started, um, we had no principal, and we had no assistant principal. And the district knew that I had my admin credential, so they placed me, they took me out of the classroom and placed me as the kind of intern, interim, I don't know semantically what you want to call it, temporary um, assistant principal, and then they hired a principal, and then it just stuck. I just, it, we Stayed. made a team, I liked it, um, they liked me, and so I just kept, kept going. Um, in terms of education itself, my parents were both educators, so again, I think a lot of that, like you were saying with college education, I think career-wise, education really does run in the family. Um, mm-hmm. My brother's a principal as well. Um, so I saw what they did and the impact they had, and it just was a natural fit for me. It's a lovely job. It's a hard one, but it's a lovely job in so many ways, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely... Being in the uh, field. It takes, takes passion, and it takes patience, and it takes... Um, kind of a, a selflessness, not to be boastful, but, you know, just right. kind of sacrificing um, your own immediate needs to try to improve the lives of others. Maybe maybe it's a little bit too like a therapist. You have to suspend your judgment and your advice giving. You help yeah, the I other mean, person. You can give out, definitely. I think as an assistant principal, people look for a lot of advice and you know, I can give advice, but typically what I'm trying to do is flesh it out of them. You know, what? Right. Because the, as the answer is there, and um, trying to help them understand how to make better choices, but not telling them what the better choice is, but just helping them think through previous mistakes to prevent further mistakes or introduce them to accountability when maybe they don't receive any accountability measures at home. So right. it's, it's, a, it's a delicate dance of, of having a heavy hand, but, you know, but a big heart at the same time. Right. And it's why we're talking, I'm thinking, you know, most people would not help a child do a math problem. We always say, figure it out yourself. That's the best way you're going to learn. Right. For the most part, right? But when it comes to these life lessons, too many parents step in and do it for the kids. And they're yeah, not having I, the same I, attitude. I agree that. I think that definitely there's a trend. I think parent involvement is trending. If we're going to talk like Twitter, it's trending. I think a lot of, but it's becoming a more um, palpable conversation now. I think it's, there is more scrutiny on being overly involved or over-parenting and 
going way back to the meme that you talked about, that sign, you know, I wrote the article and it was on the Huffington Post and a lot of the comments were just about the sign, about how mean the sign was. And the article is not about the sign, but the article comes from a place that talks about how does a school end up coming to a place where they're actually going to take the time to print and post a sign like that? I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the larger conversation and the larger frustration that's boiling up in education, especially in the high school setting. It's just overly involved parents who are kind of micro-engineering or producing, uh, producing like a play, you know, it's not, it's not authentic for their, for their student. And it's not something that they will duplicate once they get to college or they get a job because their parent will not be there with them to do those things. Right. One of the things you were saying, some people think that sign is mean. And from my perspective, what is mean is not allowing your child to be able to make mistakes and grow, to stunting their growth or making them dependent on their parents. It's sort of like a lot of people when somebody's hurting and crying and, you know, sad, we all tend to want to uh, jovial, get jovial and get them out of it, snap them right. out of it, or, or tell them to feel better. It's okay, it'll all be all right. And we're really robbing them of the, one of the dearest part is, parts of humanity, which is that <clears throat> all our emotions. And I see parents robbing their children of this great part of being a person and growing and becoming your own, own self. And I've certainly seen, I'm sure you've seen, the pride in some of these kids' faces and their demeanor when they've taking responsibility for something for the first yeah, I time. Think, I think that learned helplessness, for lack of a better term, is a problem. And I think what happens is that I get it. I mean, I have young children, so you, you get in the habit of helping them. And because they are, in a lot of ways, helpless. But as they get older, parents don't dial back the amount of presence or interventions that they're asserting on situations. And mm-hmm. then when they get to high school specifically... You know, I, I still get, e- I'm getting emails from parents of children who are seniors in high school, who are 18, but they're not emailing me, the parent is, right. and, it's not, and it's not because the parent's emailing me because it's come to this finally, it's this culmination of their kid couldn't work it out and tried to, it's little questions, simple questions, things that the, that the kid, the adult, really, the young adult should be asking or at least trying to navigate first, and they're, they, are, they are robbed of that because they're not given an opportunity to problem solve. And, um, and it's a very safe environment. It's a very controlled environment in high school, but they're not necessarily always given the opportunity to have tense conversations or face accountability or have to problem solve or, you know, figure it out. Um, and then when they get to college they're unable to duplicate their previous performance without the parent. Right. They don't get to participate in their school experience really either. There's, I've asked lots of client, kid clients, what are your grades? I don't know. They're, the answer is I don't know. Have you talked to your teacher? Where do you, how do you find your grades? I don't know. My mom has them. Well, my mom looks on the Internet and finds them. And there's no real participation. They're not involved. Yeah, I think that, I mean, at the school where I work, I would say that that's less common. I think the kids are certainly aware of their own academics, and they're very intrinsically motivated academically. But where the kind of insertion comes in is when in any sort of minor conflict, 
mm-hmm. is the presence of the parent in minor conflicts that should be or could be easily remedied with the student, young adult, and teacher or administrator. But those situations are sort of hijacked with parental involvement, um, and then they never figure out how to traverse those, those situations. Well, and here's an extreme example in family court. This is an extreme example, but in family court, there's I've seen a lot of dads, now they're getting divorced, a lot of dads, mothers come in and do the family court thing. So there's the father of the kids, but it's his mother that's orchestrating, getting him there, getting the file, the forms filed. That's really an extreme case, but it does end up can end up like that, where, where the adult is basically, as we said, helpless, learned helplessness or incapable. Right, yeah. I mean, it does happen, and people end up there. And it, I don't think it's an intentional, I don't think parents set out to say, I'm going to over-assert myself, I'm going to be over-involved, and I'm going to create a young adult who can't cope. Right. I, I, no. But I think that it's just a pattern of behavior and if it doesn't get checked once in a while or, you know, if there's not a line drawn of expectation, and I think a lot of that has to come from, from the school and setting expectations with parents and being very clear about, you know, this is the protocol. First, we want you to have your student talk to the teacher and then have your student talk to the teacher and the counselor. And then you kind of ante up the, the food chain, so to speak. And then, and then it's totally fine for the parent to get involved. But let's just dial it back and not get involved right from the beginning. If that makes Right. Sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. We're going to take a break and we'll be back shortly. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories, resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel. There are many challenges associated with recovery from any issue. By building a support system of friends, family members, and professionals, you can overcome these challenges. Tune in to Rise Radio with host Randy Havison. On this program, we'll bring topics to the forefront like addiction, self-esteem, leadership, relationship building, and other topics to empower you and your support system to achieve a greater level of personal growth. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. 
On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Make Life Work. My guest today is Daniel Patterson, Vice Principal of a school down in Southern California, uh, high school. Why, where we left off, let's, why don't you, you were tell Daniel and I had a conversation last night, and he was telling me about one of his passion projects. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, I will. Uh, the, uh, I guess my passion project right now is twofold. It's just inserting different interventions into comprehensive high school that replace traditional, I guess, consequences. And last year, uh, I started collaborating with a nonprofit out of, this area called One Recovery, and this founder, Lynn Peterson, this amazing woman, um, started a nonprofit that essentially we trade out traditional consequences for interventions. I'll give you an example. Let's say you are a sophomore in high school and you get caught smoking marijuana at school. In a traditional setting, you would be suspended for five days. You miss five days at school, sit at home, probably your parents are at work. Right. Not, you know, what happens? Nobody really wins there. They miss more school. They're more anxious about school. They smoke, they smoke more weed, et cetera, right. on and on. So what we do is we, we offer a trade-out, kind of like an exchange. So instead of being suspended for five days, we enroll the student and the parent, not together. They have separate programs, and they attend these drop-in groups at night. We have them this year on Monday nights for an hour. And all the kids work together, and it's a very art-infused curriculum. It's a support group. It's not just for kids who have drug issues either. A lot of kids go there who don't have to be there. And um, we have songwriters and artists and musicians and ex-models, ex-NFL players, um, ex-basketball players. We have a whole variety of people come in and work with them directly and speak to them and talk to them about finding a passion and kind of igniting a passion that would replace that need to use um, or that feeling of uh, isolation or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that was last year we started this group. um, And by the end of the year, we had about 25 kids coming every week and none of them had to be there. So it was (laughs) wonderful to see we started with just a few who had to be there and they would come and go. But really what happened is that one kid would come, they had to be there, and then when their time was done where they could have fallen off, they kept attending. And so it was very powerful, and I fundraised with a lot of local donors, and I got, I've fundraised a few hundred thousand dollars over Hmm. the last six months, and we actually are opening a center on our campus right now called Seeking Connection. It's a wellness center and a place that kids can check in and it's serviced by One Recovery, and then we have social workers from the school district just to give free support and really accessible third-party support 
to families and kids who are, maybe their kids very stressed out or anxious or had a falling out with friends or the parents don't have to know how to manage their new teens kind of attitude or behavior. It's just a resource that's right here, anonymous, third party. And on that's our incredible. Campus. Yeah. So that was last year. And then we added the building this year. And then, so that's sort of the reactive end, right? Cause we're reacting to negative behaviors and trying to triage them or mitigate them. And mm-hmm. then this year I'm adding the proactive end, which I'm calling the seeking speaker series. And that's our mascot is the Sea Kings. That's why it's that. But, <laughs> and I'm bringing in large, a well-known brand name keynote speakers to talk about brain development and research or failing. And like Jess Leahy, who's a best-selling author of The Gift of Failure. She's mm-hmm. going to come talk about, talk primarily to parents about letting your kids fail and how to talk to them about failure and how to help them process failure, not always rescuing like, like we talked about earlier. And so we have a series of speakers that come once a month or once every other month, and we have a beautiful new theater. So I'm trying to bookend support for our kids because it's easy to punish a kid. Yeah, you got caught with alcohol at the dance. You're suspended. You're bad. Go over there. But you're not actually dealing with the underlying issue. Why are you drinking? Why are you smoking? Why are you cutting? Why are you depressed? And instead of a Band-Aid, we're trying to actually look for a cure. It is so that's easier sort to of punish. Like where, and that's how I started writing, really, um, just to kind of vent or catharsis, just to get it out of me. And, and I spend so much time with kids who are wonderful people who are just in a bad place. Right. And I try to help them work, you know, find some sort of middle ground with their parents. It's a meaning to do, do it in a way that's meaningful and that's not yes. threatening and... And that's private, and we do that right here on campus. And it's been, it's been wonderful, and it's truly uh, just the progress we've made. And I'm just looking forward to this year and all of the additions that we're doing. So that's and kind the, of what, guest, in a nutshell, I'm sorry, the, the passion project. <laughs> that's, a, that's your passion. The guests yeah. that you have or the participants from all these different uh, jobs and fields is fabulous because that – adds another element to it, exposure to all these fields. Yeah, it does. It adds exposure to fields, and then, and it also targets different kinds of kids with different kinds of interests. So we had a, we had a speaker who grew up on the East Coast, affluent, well-educated, played lacrosse, moved to L.A., and became a model. You know, and then she suffered from disordered eating and so, had mm-hmm. some struggles. So she came and spoke about her journey and what happened and how she got help and how she's thriving now. And we invited the girls, girls lacrosse team because there was that connection and the mm-hmm. dance team and there was that connection. And we invited, you know, so there's different kind of segments of the community that we try to, when we're planning who's going to come speak, we look to see that we're, ma- we're, we're like matching at least one speaker with every kind of kid. I mean, you can't be perfectly right. aligned with every kind of kid, but you look for your big segments of your student population. Um, we had Ryan Leaf, who was an ex-NFL star. Um, and so we had the football team. And we had an mm-hmm. old basketball player, and we had the basketball team. Um, mm-hmm. We had Matt Ballas, who's a brain, he does brain research psychology, but he's also a stand-up comedian. <laughs> and we had all of the AP psychology classes come. Um, oh, that's so fabulous. So we just, 
we had uh, Noah Levine who does uh, meditation, and we had him come talk about different ways to calm yourself and relax yourself and understand how you're feeling rather than numbing those feelings with using um, or, right. you know, prescription medicating. Um, so that is the way that we do it. And, and it's all networking, really, honestly, through social media, reaching out through Twitter, messaging them and getting them to donate their time. And they do it. They all they show up. I mean, we get no's, I can't make it, or that doesn't work. Right. But overwhelmingly, people, when you ask them just for an hour of time to talk to kids, they say yes. But I don't think a lot of people ask. Right. I don't think people take that risk. And it helps keep the kids from being isolated. So right. Spending it, a child it, for five days is sort of ludicrous, really, unless there was violence involved. Yeah, I think there's certain, obviously, there's when there's safety of others, that's, there's a time and a place for everything. Right. But for a standard drug or alcohol suspension, or even truancy, you know, where they're, they're not coming to school, so there would be consequences for that. And they would maybe would have detention. So instead of giving them an hour of detention, you have them come to the drop-in group for an hour. They meet all of these new friends. They are supervised. They're doing art. They're, you know, they're talking about how they're feeling. They're making, they're setting goals. They're making promises for the in the next week. I'm going to work on this. It's very powerful. A lot of cognitive work. What's that? It sounds like a lot of cognitive work. Absolutely. Setting goals, looking at, oh, yeah. looking at how you think. Having somebody to come in there and talk about how the brain works is fabulous too, because. We need to know how the brain works. Otherwise, we're battling something we don't understand. Right, and you understand the damage that can happen in the development process. Matt Ballas is phenomenal. He wrote a book called A, a Better High, and, and, but he's also a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And so the, that package of how he's able to reach the... Once you get people to laugh, I think you can get them to listen. Oh, yes. And that's, and that's how he... I mean, you should have seen he had... Just a packed house, and everyone was all in, and and just reaching different kinds of speakers and different artists, and it's it's pretty amazing. That's great. That's funny. That is funny. And we'll link. We'll um. I'll list some of the everybody that you're mentioning when I get that information from you later. Absolutely. What are some of the changes? So you've seen changes in students, no doubt. What are some changes that you've seen? from your program or just some work with kids that you've seen in their skills, skill sets and, and abilities, their ability to take... I think the take- biggest, uh, I, I would say, payoff from the program that we've seen is just, um, you know, the self-confidence and, and being comfort- more comfortable with who they are and more assertive in that walking in their own truth mm-hmm. um, and just not feeling isolated um, and you want to give them the tools to be able to cope and be able to get help. And so you're introducing them to a program that's not a top-down, you have to do this, but, hey, you might think about doing this, or, hey, this week we're going to try to do it this way. We're going to, I want you to paint about X, or I want you to write about Y, or we're going to try to write a song about this. It's just bringing the arts back as a, as a mechanism to get down in their soul and, and get them to open up. Because I think a lot of the, stress that they're feeling is just 
they don't feel heard. And I think people want to be heard and they want that validation. And we're providing a safe place for them to get it. That's very important. People don't feel heard today. It's a very busy world and kids kids are lost in it. And they don't then they don't feel heard in a way out loud. I think a lot of the way that they communicate through social media and messaging and texting and Snapchat, that's, that is very um, quick and it's very uh, parsed out and I don't know that mm-hmm. it ever get, digs deep enough to create a real voice. It really should be the secondary form of communication for all of us instead of the primary one. I know, but I'm guilty of it. I, te- I, I will <laughs> I tell you this. I'll, I will text you before I will call you. Oh, you won't be able to text me because I actually don't text. Well, I, I, te- I text. I texted hello once a few years ago, and it took me five minutes, and I said, I'm never doing this again. And I don't do cell phones. I have um, I have social political issues with cell phones. Well, that's good. I mean, that's yeah. a good, good, healthy habit. I think everyone needs to embrace whatever works for them. But certainly, yeah. I think... Communication and teaching them how to communicate without the device and without, um, because all too often what I do see with teenagers is that when they are behind the device, it becomes more impersonal and then they can be, they're more of whatever than they really are. So they're more sexual than they really are, or they're more mean than they really are, or they're overly, you know, they make fun of people like they normally wouldn't because it feels anonymous, but it's actually not. Or maybe so a lot of what I deal with in my job is just the ramifications or the consequences or the fallout from mm-hmm. poor choices made behind a keyboard of a phone, but just not connecting the dots. Okay, if I'm typing this, other people will see it or they're going to take a screenshot. You know, and there's of, something very empty about that communication. It, it, it really isn't it can be, Absolutely. It can, feel, it can feel very empty when it's not paired with, with anything else, certainly. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I wish, I wish, I know I would make a lot of enemies, although, and none of my kid clients ever agreed with me, but I don't think a teenager should have a smartphone. I think they should have a cell phone for contact and emergencies, and I know that's crazy, and I've had a few parents just look at me sideways and say, like, that's never going to happen, but there's, they're getting in so much trouble, there is there is too much disconnect, like you were saying, between what they're putting on that phone and what, what happens after that. Well, I think it's and just like anything else. We need to help them learn how to drive the vehicle. I mean, yes. we definitely, when a kid's going to drive a car, they have to have a permit and they have to have a certain amount of hours. And they have to take a test. Right. There's, a, there's a process. You help them because a car, if you don't use it correctly, is dangerous. Right. Same thing with a smartphone. So I think, In modeling. I think that the age in which the kid gets a cell phone is, is very important. What apps are on it is very important. Um, there are good parenting apps that you can load onto your child's iPhone that does capture everything that they're doing, every keystroke, every image, and you can control the device remotely. So I think that parents should put those types of parameters on the devices until their kids are old enough and have demonstrated a history of responsibility um, all too often they're just handed the device, right. unlimited data, and boom, they're off to the races. I didn't know about that app. That is fabulous. Sounds great. God, I've said it's fabulous like five times today. Um, <laughs> the, other, the other thing is modeling, right? Parents, I've had plenty of kids tell me my parent is on the phone all the time. 
and it creates more distance, more disconnect. When you look in a living room and four people are on the phone texting somebody, not talking to each other, you, it, there's the training like you're talking about and the modeling. I agree. We're and gonna, and we, go we live in a society that goes 24 hours a day, so it's hard to oh. put down the phone. I get it. Well, and there's a de- addictive. There is a de- addictive uh, components to it, which will be coming out in a few years because of the stimulation to the uh, eyes, and the the reward that's connected with the beeps and the sounds and the colors. I believe even scrolling up and down that that's doing some kind of stimulation to our eyes and. That in itself is becoming addictive. So the for sure the, the it's little- rewarding. I mean, how it's very rewarding to open up your phone and see a text message, or open up your phone and see that you have the little red number over Facebook or the little red number over Twitter yes. that people have engaged with you or validated you. I think it definitely is a form of validation and communication. And and when teenagers are feeling very isolated in other ways the one way that they're not isolated is with the device. So I think that it has good power to help them stay or feel connected, but it needs to be monitored and used in a healthy way. And combined with other other forms of communication and ways to relate. It should never be the total replacement, I don't think. I think it should be supplemental, but I think you would be hard-pressed to find uh, a system that would be effective in in removing all devices. I know that we have people that suggest, you know, phones should have no place in the school setting. And uh, and I think that they're very powerful in the school setting when they're used correctly. But Mm. it takes diligence and teachers that are enforcing policies and kids that know boundaries. I think, you know, if you build the fence, they play in the yard. So you just have to let them know, let your kids know or your students know exactly what the expectations are and what the consequences for not following them are, and that teaches them to be resilient. That's right. And as a parent, when you see that your kid has usurped or violated a rule or gone around something and they've been caught, that's when you want to go rescue them, but you shouldn't, because that's going to teach them how to cope and make better decisions and have tough conversations and be accountable. And that, for me, is the hardest part when I see parents intercepting those moments from the hands of their children and then the children never get that teachable moment. They get the beginning of it, but they never see it all the way through. Right. We're going to take a break now, Daniel. We'll be back in a minute. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Women in Sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. 
In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Welcome back. My guest today is Danielle Patterson, and we are talking about teaching and training kids to be responsible, competent, and self-assured. Before we took our last break, Daniel had said there is a place in the school setting for phones as long as there are clear boundaries and limits and that breaches on those boundaries and limits that they're followed up with consequences. But I would like to hear more about that because I am one of those people, Daniel, that says there's no room for phones in the school. What do you say? (laughs) Well, I I don't generally live in the land of never or never, we should never have this or never have that. I think smartphones in the classroom setting, um, first of all, there's a lot of customization to the way that kids learn these days. I think the language they speak is through technology. So as educators, I think we have an obligation to look at that tool and look at that venue. And, and rather than sweeping it aside, we look, how can we use this tool? How do we speak their language in a way that allows us to teach through it and use the phone as a metaphor, I guess, for responsibility, boundaries, morality. Um, You know, you can have protections on the Wi-Fi. Parents can limit the amount of time that they have data. They can, like I said, you can, I think it's called safe teen, um, that you can load on the phone and it will capture their keystrokes. So, but in the classroom setting, I think there are safety, there's safety issues. I think in an emergency, there's different apps that can help you communicate. Um, if you're doing research, you don't have to truck all the way to a computer lab. You can use your device. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, it only works when you have consequences and clear expectations if you're not on the page you're supposed to be on or you're not in the app you're supposed to be in then there is a non-negotiable consequence. Right. So it's a teaching school, a tool at school then, a lot of the right. way, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I think that the phone is a, is a great opportunity 
to teach responsibility, accountability, consequence, and and the bottom line is it's how they are learning the rest of their world. Yes, we're teaching them how to do math and about social studies, but the school is supposed to prepare them for life. Mm-hmm. Um, what if the kid doesn't go to college? A lot of kids don't go to college, and they're going to enter the workforce and be an adult, and they're going to graduate. Is that fair if we haven't taught them how to functionally and responsibly use a device that most of the world uses every hour? Right. You know, everyone's on their phone all the time. I'm not saying that's good, but I'm saying it's the reality. So it's our responsibility as educators to teach them how to use it correctly, responsibly, and get them prepared to face those same consequences out and the same parameters out in the world. You've effectively changed my mind that managing cell phones needs to be curriculum. And this is why I just remembered I've had a couple assistants at my agency one who I would be speaking to, uh, giving her instructions, and she would answer her phone. And I'm speaking to her, her boss. <laughs> I, told, I told her she needed to put the phone away, turn it off and put it away. So what she would do is hide it in the drawer on vibrate. Right. And I had another assistant who kept her phone right there. It's a very, I don't, no phones at work. They're very distracting at, at my age, at the agency. But she would keep her phone right there, and I told her, that there's no cell, phone, cell phones at work, and she quit. Wow. Yep, because she couldn't not have her phone. Right, so when so, she was, do you allow phones like at, during your breaks or if they take a oh, break, sure. can they get on their phone? Sure, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's the same philosophy at school. You know, not, not every teacher is going to allow phones. Some might, some might not. Or you might say you can use your phone at break or lunch or in passing periods. Mm-hmm. So that's good if that's a good teaching mechanism in school to get you prepared to have employees that are used to the rules of phones because that person probably never had any rules right with phones or they lived in a place where they were never allowed to use phones and so now that they're an adult they're going to use a phone and when you tell them they can't they're going to quit right so. Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that they're they're accepted in the workplace they're just accepted. And, and they're not pertinent to the job, a lot of jobs I see. And people are just constantly answering the phone. So I'm all for cell phone curriculum. Cell phone 101 in That's school right. now. Yeah, cell phone 101. What, we're going to switch gears now. What um, are some of the trends you're seeing in parenting that's affecting children's growth? In, in, in a, like, stunting the growth sort of yeah, way? That's a fa- or, or, either way, really. What are some of the trends... Or are there trends that are helping kids learn responsibility or trends that are getting in the way of that? That's a great question. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm typically an optimist, and I'd like to be, um, but I don't see a lot of trends that are going in the way of teaching more responsibility. I think the percentage of parents who are living in that reality of letting their kid and when I say kid, I'm not speaking about an elementary student. I'm talking about 15, 16, 17, 18 high school. Right. Right. Um, you know, the percentage of parents letting their student child um, figure things out on their own, like I had said before, small things, little things, things that they can figure out if given. Maybe they don't figure it out as soon as you would figure it out because you are 45 and a CEO right. and you've got it all dialed in. 
But they will figure it out. And the school is filled with adults who are here to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in a foreign country. Right. They're in a school that's designed to, to help them. So I think the trend of over-involvement or um, premature rescuing is, is spiking. Um, but I think in, in the school where I work, I think there's a lot of dialogue right now of um, how can we address this and how can we work as a community to get better at this. And, and, I, and I speak with a lot of parents who know what they're doing and, and they catch themselves doing it. But, you know, in that moment, you kind of mm-hmm. can't help yourself because you want to help your child. And it um, takes practice. It does take practice and it mm-hmm. takes discipline. It's kind of like sleep training, and I have a one-year-old, and when you're sleep training a baby, you have to let them cry. It doesn't mean that you want to let them cry or that it's easy to hear them cry. And sometimes when they're crying, you can't sleep because they can't sleep. So it would be so much easier just to go pick them up because they'll stop crying, and then you guys can both go to sleep. But then if you do that, they never learn how to sleep through the night, and instead of you going through two weeks of sleep training, you have to hold them for the next two years. And then guess what? You still have to teach them to sleep in their own bed, except for now it's worse because they're older and mm-hmm. they're going to throw a fit. Mm-hmm. And they're going to throw a fit mobily, whereas before they were in a crib. Right. So it's kind of the, a little bit of a metaphor for high school as well. I mean, this is a good, safe place to make a mistake in comparison to making that mistake in college. You, can cut, you know, you could get caught cheating in a high school let's say, in a minor scope. It's not, it's not egregious. It's just maybe you copied someone's homework. In high school, there's a little consequence. But in college, you could get kicked out of that class and withdrawn from that class with an F. The so if they don't experience any consequence in high school, then how are they going to handle... They're not going to expect a consequence in college or they won't be able to handle... And there's no professor I don't, that I know of that's going to meet with a parent. Right. I've had a lot of adult clients tell me that they were, once they became an adult, they were stunned at the expectations of the world, and they were mad at their parents, who were, were those parents that took care of everything and did everything for them. When, when they were kids, they didn't realize what it was doing to them, but when they hit adulthood, they were a little resentful. I've had them say, my parents didn't equip me. They didn't teach right. me to... Yeah, and know. I think those are, and you've been doing what you've been doing for a long time, I think in, in our setting, I think the percentage of parents who are just over the top, totally and overly involved isn't big, but I think that there's enough of them that it's an issue. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority of the parents here at, at my school, they, they kind of are on the fence. You know, some, they, can, they can go both ways. They could get overly involved, and then, but then if you kind of, talk with them and discuss with them and kind of put them back in the center, then, then they can go the other direction. But it's just all one system. You've got to communicate and work together and, and have really clear expectations all the way around. And sometimes giving parents permission to change and do it differently. Right. Sometimes, sometimes they think they're to supposed to do to this way. to let their child fail. Right. And because as a parent... Obviously, if your child fails, that can be perceived as a poor reflection of your parenting. But sometimes the child, high school kid, has to get that F because 
that's the only way or that could be the only way to let them decide how, how that feels. How does this mm-hmm. F feel to me without being rescued? Um, and then they'll decide, okay, I, I am okay with that feeling and I'm going to continue to fail classes. Or no, that, that doesn't feel good. I don't like the way it makes my parents look. I don't like the way it makes me feel. And then they go the opposite direction. But when they get rescued and they never get that F and they're micro-engineered, then they won't experience that and they don't get to make that decision. They don't ever feel how it really feels. And so when they get put in that position later in life, they don't have the decision-making quality. They can't always understand how to process their pros and cons of, of what they're doing or how they feel. They're also missing pride at that point. So when we teach children to do well for themselves and take responsibility, they learn pride, they gain pride right. in themselves and what they do. So and that's also robbing them, them of that. What We have a few minutes left, we have three minutes left. What are some ideas, suggestions, do you have any helpful hints, some tools, tricks? I call them tricks to the trade. Tricks. Well, I can talk about, you know, in the article I wrote that was on the Huffington Post, it talks about, you know, five tips that I give parents to. Yes, not, those are not, They don't have to commit to them. They don't have to make a huge life change, but just try them. And so I would suggest any high school parent that's listening, try these five as we're entering a new school year. And the first is don't talk to a teacher about a specific situation, grade, scenario, dilemma, family trip, any of it, before your teenager does. So you always want to position your teenager first and allow them to learn how to communicate and to navigate a situation. And, of course, if it goes sideways or they've tried and they can't seal the deal, your involvement is warranted. But first give them that opportunity, and I guarantee that most situations they'll figure out on their own. They'll resolve. And the second we need to issue do- that, or piece of advice I guess I have, is that there's a, a fear that if you tell a teacher, if you give a teacher constructive criticism, or if the student says, you know, I didn't like the way this made me feel, or, or, or if you challenge a grade, that that teacher will then retaliate against you. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't... So letting go of that fear because it's more important to learn how to communicate and challenge and advocate for yourself than the chance, the off chance that a teacher would retaliate against you. Right. And then the third would be when your kid gets home from school, don't talk to them about school. Right. When I get home from work, I don't want to talk about work. Right. And I think that's pretty fair generalization to make about adults. So, if a kid thinks that when they walk in the door, their parents are going to bombard them about school, they're either going to delay coming home or when they get home, they're going to make a beeline for their room because they don't want to deal with it. Yes. So I'm not saying don't talk about school. I'm saying just give them, give them a little break. And what is the fourth and the fifth? We're going to have to close here in a The fourth is just few seconds. behaviors are behaviors, and they'll come and go, but look for the root cause of why they're acting that way, kind of like, Yes, they're smoking marijuana. Why? Mm-hmm. Are they depressed? Are they sad? Are they anxious? And then the last one would be help them develop skills that they can use the rest of their life. You cannot be their permanent, ever-present Band-Aid. Right. You have to help them learn how to find their own Band-Aid or their own solution. 
So you need to arm them as, with as many coping skills and tools and, you know, ways to navigate tense situations or disappointment um, by themselves so that when they're an adult, they can do it and they can teach their kids how to do it. Or we're just going to end up with a long line of people who have no coping skills. Well, teaching them those coping skills gives them that self-esteem and the confidence to go out into the world, right? And the pride. I mean, there's nothing... When you can that, right, solve the a situation and come to a resolution, you feel good about yourself. Yes. Okay? If someone else solves it for you, you never get that feeling. Well, Daniel, I really want to thank you for being a guest today on the show. I really appreciate it, and I hope that you come back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. And if everybody would go to Make Life Work on the Facebook page, I'll have links to Daniel's Twitter account and his Facebook account. And you can go to the Voice America Facebook, excuse me, Voice America page and get those links as well. Thank you, everybody, so much. And we will talk with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Make Life Work. Please join your host, Kathy Ellis, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, try to see your life and world through a new perspective.